The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Right, a very warm welcome to Scorebox. We are live in London, Zurich, Riyadh and Frankfurt as turmoil rocks the European banking sector. These are your headlines. Credit Suisse takes a 50 billion franc lifeline from the Swiss National Bank as it looks to restore confidence in the lender after shares plummet 24%. The chairman of the Saudi National Bank tells uh, CNBC uh, there have been no talks about providing additional financial assistance to Credit Suisse as he tries to firm up confidence in the embattled lender. Unfortunately, a lot of people were just looking for excuses to you know, it's, it's panic, uh, a little bit of panic. Um, I believe completely unwarranted, whether it be for Credit Suisse or for the entire market. European banks braced themselves after a bruising session that saw the sector plunge 7% in the worst days since Russia invaded Ukraine. Oil recovers some ground after hitting its lowest level since December 2021, mid fears the crisis could dent global economic growth. And cracks in the global banking system casting doubt over the ECB's resolve, with market bets clouded now on the likelihood of a 50 basis point hike today. Good morning, Karen. Good morning, everybody. Absolutely momentous day yesterday in uh, the global economy, in uh, the banking sector on both sides of the Atlantic with the global ramifications and ripples from that as well. But the authorities out of Switzerland are trying to draw a line under this crisis, this dilemma. And actually, I'm not sure they have just yet, despite the fact now we have had huge news overnight that Credit Suisse has secured a 50 billion Swiss franc lifeline from the Swiss Central Bank. You're going to hear a lot about the SMB today, but there's two SMBs, just so you all know. One is the Saudi National Bank, the other is the Swiss National Bank, of course, as well. But it's the Swiss Central Bank uh, that has provided that lifeline after shares in Credit Suisse slumped to record lows. Uh, they were down 24% in the session, but they actually were lower than that at one point, down over 30%. Now, that plunge came after its top investor, the SMB, Saudi National Bank, said it would not provide further assistance. The Swiss regulator Finmar also reassured investors that the lender met capital and liquidity requirements. Credit Suisse becomes the first major global bank to be given an emergency lifeline since the 2008 financial crisis. And just a very quick look at the uh, closing prices from yesterday. You've got the shares, which closed down at 1.697. And let me just remind you, ladies and gentlemen, that it was only... Uh, a few days ago that the Saudis were going to, uh, telling everybody that actually they were very pleased with their investment and actually that they'd underlined that they thought was a good long-term investment, a great bargain, so to speak. Well, that was at 4 Swissy. 
We traded down to below 1.7 Swissy as of yesterday as well. Uh, the ADR traded down uh, 14%. And it's also a time when the, the Qataris, they've got the best part of 7% as well. So they've got 17%, those two investors. But Harris, which had held the shares by and large for most of this century, just put their cards on the table and said, we are out uh, a week or so ago. They just didn't like what they were seeing and didn't like the recovery plan uh, and the slicing and dicing of the operations there as well. So Mr. Hero from Harris, who had had an absolute bloodbath on his investment in Credit Suisse, threw his cards out and said, I've had enough. No doubt a sigh of relief, but if uh, he'd repositioned in some of the other European banks, there was no respite yesterday either. Obviously, deeper falls in Credit Suisse, and you can see it by comparison versus the other major banks as Credit Suisse effectively uh, caused a wider banking sell-off to resume after the sector staged a, a partial recovery earlier in the week. Uh, what we had, if you take a look at the ranges, Deutsche Bank down a fairly mighty 9%, Commerce Bank shedding 8.7%, so similar ranges for the two German banks. HSBC, which stepped in to rescue SVB UK this week, you, you can see that stock down near on 5% and stepped up selling on the stock strip 600 to the tune of almost 7%. So across the board, uh, what jumps out to me is that it was almost like the playbook that you saw in the United States around SVB earlier in the week. The contagion fears really swept around most of the banks to the point where it's rattled investors around their calls on monetary policy. So it's ECB day today. We're expecting a 50 basis point rate hike from the central bank. That has now changed. Uh, assumptions now seeing a less than 20% chance of a 50 basis point yeah. hike from the ECB. So the big question now is whether monetary policy in many parts, what we've been seeing in recent sessions at the foothills of the central banks that they've conducted too much monetary policy, too much uh, stimulus. No. Very hard to retreat from that with the interest rates and quantitative tightening. And here we are undermining monetary policy on a day where you're meant to see more of an exit. I hear what you're saying, but I, I couldn't disagree more, actually, that you can blame the central banks in terms of their inflation watch for this. Where I think you could blame people is the fact that the ball uh, has not been spotted. The eye has been taken off it by a whole host of regulators. We shouldn't be at this cliff edge now where a whole host of financial institutions are worried about their liquidity where we're worried about the assets on the book, for instance, of SVB, uh, because all of a sudden someone's realised that you bought a load of bonds, interest rate expectations have gone up, and suddenly those bonds are underwater. And this is an endemic problem potentially for the whole of the US banking sector. Where were the regulators monitoring on a daily basis the exposure, the assets and the liabilities of these financial institutions? Where were the ratings agencies? Once again, we had Moody's yesterday uh, telling us that they were worried about the US banking sector, getting a little bit more negative on it, but where were they before that? What are they doing? And we had an analyst yesterday, an analyst who I have enormous respect for on this show saying, well, you can't expect people to look down to uh, Appendix C or whatever it is and look right into the minutiae of the balance sheets and see what the asset value is compared with what the asset value is in terms of what it was purchased at. I think you can expect people to do that. I think you expect risk management in the companies to do it. I expect the ratings agencies to do it. I expect the analysts to do it. But most importantly, I expect the regulators to be on top of this, not creating these kind of cliff edges. What you're talking about are Hallmark's legacy effects of the discussions that we had from yeah. the financial crisis. But what is different this time? The toxic assets that we're discussing are safe haven assets. That's what's so extraordinary about that. What's rattled market in recent months around stability has been gilts here in the UK. It's 10-year treasury bonds, safest of safe assets sitting on balance sheets. It's just the repricing of those particular so why assets is that that's caused a, a problem. Rather than on a gradual basis, that is the same problem. Well, isn't it? again, it goes back to monetary policy. One of the issues has been the extent of the retreat. It's been such a rapid removal 
of some of the stimulus that we've seen in a very short period of time, it's been very hard for some of these banks to, to manage those portfolios. The other aspect here around deposit holders, it's very different now in 2023, just how quickly those deposits can be moved to various different accounts, not just from one account to another, but into T-bills, for instance. That's very different about the architecture of this financial system. So I think there are new risks for regulators, just as we've gone over stress tests, we've re-geared the entire system. 2023 looks very, very different to 2008. Uh, I think they're better regulated now and there's more capital on the books as well. And we're going to hear that from HSBC in a little while as well, I'm sure. So the good news is better regulation by and large uh, and better liquidity positions and better CET1 ratios. But the problem is the fact that this has come as a surprise to a lot of people when actually all of a sudden we shouldn't have had this. We should have had this as a gradual understanding that people knew that these assets were on the book. And so there wasn't so this sudden crisis that their values of assets marked here when actually they're trading down here as well. As you say, these are very vanilla assets we're talking about. We're talking about sovereign bonds, but where the problem comes is when there's other uh, assets held on the balance sheet, which are also marked at the wrong price. We're going to move on uh, because we've got Jeff waiting in Zurich and he's going to give us the latest on the Credit Suisse story uh, from that point of view. Jeff. Well, welcome here to Zurich, everybody, where there are obviously uh, jitters and nerves are jangling this morning as we await the market open to see just how investors uh, and uh, analysts around the world are going to digest the news overnight of this $54 billion lifeline effectively from the Swiss National Bank. The... um, bank itself has uh, also been communicating with the market, as you know, uh, trying to reassure those who are concerned that it doesn't have a viable business model going forward and that it is able to overcome these short-term challenges. Uh, Beat Wittmann joins me from uh, Porter um, to help us understand what's going on here and where ultimately this story may go. Beat, nice to see you this morning. Thanks very much for for being with us. Look, what do you make of the attack we've ultimately seen on Credit Suisse via the, uh, the credit markets and via the equity markets? Well, every major tightening uh, cycle is claiming victims. So we have a classic pattern here um, that the weakest link in the system really uh, suffer. And we have had brutal um, monetary tightening over the last few months. And that's now uh, the result which uh, started in the US and now has reached uh, uh, Credit Suisse and the European banks at this stage. The SNB has finally uh, taken some action here, but there was a a long period where I think the markets were left to come to their own conclusions about whether there would be support for Credit Suisse. How critical is this $54 billion lifeline, if you like? Will that be enough now to settle market nerves? Well, Credit Suisse is a systemically relevant bank, not only in Switzerland, uh, but of course in Europe and globally. So there are other regulators involved, counterparty risks. And what the policymakers in Switzerland here, the Swiss National Bank, has done uh, was absolutely necessary. I think it's also timely. It's buying time, but it's addressing the liquidity issue and it's trying to restore some confidence here. But, you know, we have to step back and look, of course, at the viability of the business model, at the overall regulatory landscape. And, um, you know, I think the, the leadership of the bank has really to use now 
um, this uh, this lifeline to uh, to review their plan because obviously the capital markets have not bought the plan as we have seen by the performances of the equity price and the credit default swaps very recently. Let, let me interrogate that a little further here. So given that this has come on the back of SVB Bank and general concerns about where credit risk lies in the global banking system at the moment, to what extent is this about Credit Suisse and to what extent is it about actually the, the shortage of liquidity we're now seeing as central banks have ratcheted up interest rates? Well, the tide goes back, obviously, and the weakest links are uh, cracking. Um, and that's just happening, and that was entirely predictable. And this will not be the last one. So now it's really time for policymakers to restore confidence um, and liquidity in, in the system, be it in the US, be it in Switzerland, be it somewhere else. And of course, the central banks, the Fed and the ECB have the additional task here to deal with unsustainably high inflation. So it will be very interesting to see what the ECB and the Fed are up to um, right now uh, about interest rate hikes. Can there be a, a plan B business model for Credit Suisse? I mean, ultimately, this second restructuring program was about further de-risking the bank in management's own mind by reducing risk-weighted assets, by spinning out the investment banking business, by ultimately concentrating on what was supposed to be very calm, very stable, very reassuring asset and wealth management operations. What do they do next? Well, the challenge for any uh, big bank leadership is to understand properly the interaction between the real economy and the banking system in terms of capital allocation, the utility function, as, as we say. And then, of course, very important in this environment, the uh, transmission between the bank business model, the bank strategy and the capital markets and how they perceive it. Now it's unfortunate of course that the capital market since the announcement of that plan has never bought the plan. I mean if you look at the share price and at the credit default swaps then it's obvious um, that there is a loss of confidence and credibility and I think right now what the policymakers have done is absolutely correct. Um, uh, there is no doubt that uh, the SMB will do whatever it takes but uh, management has to take the time to adapt, either adapt uh, their turnaround plan in a more radical way. I mean, for example, isolating out the Swiss bank, which is a very valuable franchise, and deal more decisively with the legacy of the investment bank. Yeah, and that is very important here in Zurich because I think the uh, shareholders, um, the, the community here, have been horrified by what they've seen unfolding in Credit Suisse over the last decade or so. And they've been wanting the rot to stop. And yet here we are again in a very important moment for this organization. Just talk to us a little bit about the potential political fallout and the domestic pressure that the management team will be under. Well, I think the management team will very fast have to adapt the plan and that might involve a corporate financial transaction. Um, the political landscape is really loaded at this stage because we have national elections this fall and the central bank has also been under political pressure. Uh, due to the due to the losses, so I think there is no choice. Uh, the policymakers are stepping up. 
Um, they will do whatever it takes, but there will be political backlash and discussions about the way forward for the business model of Credit Suisse. And let me ask you one final question about what investors should be doing at the moment. There is uh, always the opportunity to go back into the market and try and um, bargain hunt the beaten up financial stocks at this point. That though is a very or would be an incredibly brave strategy at this time. What advice would you give right now to investors given how we seem to be seeing this whole tightening of liquidity, central bank interest rate rising, leading now to cracks beginning to emerge in the financial architecture? Well, the upside momentum in inflation and interest rates is really uh, is receding very clearly. So I think there is a very healthy underpinning um, in, uh, in capital markets. But I would very strongly recommend to stick to high quality uh, companies. That means strong management, strong balance sheets, strong value proposition. Um, and now you can pick them up at uh, more attractive valuations because very short term here with heightened volatility, everything gets thrown out here and some things justly and some things wrongly, of course. So I think we should always have a watchful eye on the emerging opportunities. And I think the very strongly positioned banks, uh, particularly in the U.S., they are very attractive here from a uh, from an annual or medium-term perspective. Beat, it's been a pleasure catching up with you. Thanks so much for joining us once again. Beat Wittmann, uh, partner at Porter Advisors. Well, I'll wrap it up for the time being and send it back to you guys in the uh, London studio. But I think uh, Beat's uh, most important words is they may have done enough for now. The market will make its uh, own decision, of course, uh, in a few hours' time. Back to you guys. Yeah, thank you very much indeed for that, Jeff. And, and I have a burning question which every one of our viewers has today, not about the broader banking sector, but about Credit Suisse. Uh, and that question, Karen, will not be answered in a very short period. What are the shares worth now? And I know that seems unpalatable for many, but you have now a de facto backstop, a liquidity backstop for as much as it takes from the central bank, but without that backstop from the central bank. You have a bank in free fall. You have a bank that people are talking about being broken up and or taken over by UBS or some form of a national white knight strategy put together. Now, the shares may rally 20% today. They may fall 20%. But the question is, how do you value a bank that exists at the largesse of the Swiss authorities? And I'll just give an example for this. I had an old colleague of mine who bought a massive stake in one of the um, problem problematic banks during the great financial crisis. Um, and he bought 20% of this bank. I won't name it for now. And he thought uh, it's backstopped by the government. It's still worth X. And actually, the government turned around in a court of law and said, no, your stake is worth nothing because without us, there is no bank. And so I think, you know, how much is the backstop stop worth to shareholders? I know what it's worth to depositors, but to shareholders, that is the big question. It's a conundrum. I mean, there are a whole bunch of issues you could raise on the back of this. Does it actually take away some of the issues around a capital raising potential if you've got such a large liquidity pool to tap at this stage? So that's the flip side, but also the future around distributions that set out a pathway for future yields for investors. Where is that pathway now? Is that we see this liquidity facility and big question marks as to just how much of it will tap, be tapped down the track. And what does it mean for depositors and AUM and liquidity flows? Because are you going to put money into that 
uh, institution because of that support from the SMB? Or are you going to use that as an opportunity to get money out because of that support from the SMB? It's something a lot of asset managers and depositors are going to have to decide over coming days and weeks. Yeah, different kettle of fish, though, when we're talking about Credit Suisse versus SVB, I think, in, in terms of the size of this organisation, just how relevant it is to a country, namely Switzerland. But I want to take you back to the market action that we saw yesterday. It was a fairly wild ride on the Dow, despite uh, the averages down uh, a fairly decent amount, but not huge widespread selling taking place, uh, roughly down uh, just over eight-tenths of a percent. But at its lows, we did see 700 points stripped off the Dow before falling uh, into the finish down 280. The other major markets reversing as well. So six negative session and seven for the Dow, fourth negative session and five for the S&P 500. The Nasdaq more contained, and this has been the pivot you've seen, investors have gone back into some of the big technology names. We've seen, for instance, the Fang Plus stocks rallying yesterday in spite of some of the issues uh, up about one and a quarter percent over the course of the trading week, up more than four percent in contrast to the 10 percent plunge that we've seen in the wider banking index, the KBE. So repositioning, again, this is on expectations that the pathway for the Fed has changed from here, that you're not going to get the same pace of increases and that it's unlocked some potential in the technology sector. But the repricing of bond markets, very evident, huge volume taking place in the Treasury market yesterday. Take a look at uh, what we're seeing on those two 10-year bonds, two in particular. I mean, we have declined a, a long way from Friday's close. We were tracking at just over uh, 4.5%, 4.58 as we closed out Friday. You can see we're now back below 4%. So that is a, a huge swing that we've seen out there. In terms of the 10-year, the yield 3.5%, almost just shy of that. So the market reacting, and as we talk about massaging these bond portfolios, it's not just the banks. Don't forget a lot of fund managers piling into some of these trades as well. So uh, the volume very much suggesting a rethink on expectations here. In terms of what we're seeing elsewhere, let me take you to gold, to oil. One of the big casualties this week has actually been energy. If you look at it a sector perspective, energy so far has has been the laggard down to the tune of about six and a half percent for the week. But following what you've seen on the spot prices, Brent and WTI both shedding about 11 odd percent so far this trading week. That is on a reassessment of the economic pathway from here. Morning session, both picking up uh, some uh, action in the trade. Seven tenths on Brent. But look at that level, 74 on Brent. We're at 68 on WTI. Uh, we were having discussions, what, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, about $100 on the price action. So very much reversing off any level uh, in sight uh, around a hundred mark or triple digit mark. Spot gold, that has been an action play for a lot of investors. Yesterday, we saw a bounce of about 1% over the course of the week, about three and a half percent. So the morning session just drifting a little bit south, but still above the $1,900 mark. Still tell us that the speculators are wrong to send it down to 74 bucks. No, you're all wrong. It's going to be 110 because there's going to be shortages going forward. And yet we still keeps going down. Absolutely spot on, Karen. Uh, another question, though. Here's one for you, ladies and gentlemen. If the crisis is over now because of the support from the Swiss National Bank, why then would the Fed not carry on raising rates and go back to its inflation watch if the other crisis is over? Which says to me that the crisis still has more legs to go. Anyway, for more on Credit Suisse's 11th hour lifeline, as well as all the latest market turmoil, check out the Squawk Box podcast. Now let's get out to Hadley in Saudi Arabia. Hey, good morning to you, Steve. Well, coming up on the program, we're going to have my exclusive interview with the chairman of Saudi National Bank, essentially saying that he's had no requests from Credit Seat for a bailout and adding that uh, what we've seen over the last 24 hours is unwarranted panic. We're going to have that conversation for you on the other side of this break. Squawk Box Europe coming up next. Stick with us.
ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on cnbc.com. Wednesday's banking meltdown came about after one of Credit Suisse's biggest backers, the Saudi National Bank, said it would not be able to offer any more assistance that sent Credit Suisse's stock into a tailspin and took the banking sector with it. Let's get out to Hadley for more. She caught up with the Saudi National Bank chairman and joins us now from Riyadh. Hadley, I think it's fair to say after the SVB events, the market went hunting for the next victim. Credit Suisse already had a target on itself after a series of scandals and even one more recently around its financial reporting. So the fact that we heard from the Saudis that they wouldn't step back into the market, that just caused a lot of nervousness. Absolutely, Karen. And I think it's really important to put those remarks from SNB yesterday into some kind of context. You'll remember uh, during my live exchange with Axel Lehman, the chairman of Credit Suisse yesterday, I asked him specifically whether or not the bank at some point would look uh, to the government for some kind of assistance. And he said at this point, that's not even a topic up for discussion. Fast forward just an hour later, uh, the chairman from SNB essentially saying, listen, um, we're not going to put any more money into the bank. And we saw the fallout over the following 24 hours or so, even into this morning. But when I spoke with the chairman just an hour or so ago, I said, I want to ask you specifically uh, what you meant by those comments. And he framed it for me quite nicely in saying, listen, the message I gave yesterday is the same message that I have today. 9.9%, that's the state that we have in Credit Suisse. We are not able, because of regulatory requirements, to go above that 10% threshold, and we have no plans to do so. What we saw over the last 24 hours has been unwarranted panic. Listen in to what he had to say. The markets are very skittish and they're looking for for stories or or uh, uh, things that you know validate concern uh, but in reality uh, back in in october you and i had a discussion and i had multiple discussions at the time and at the time we articulated very clearly that we would not go beyond 9.9 even if we desire to there there are too many complications from a regulatory and a compliance point of view globally to do that, so we were not considering that. Yesterday's message was exactly the same. Um, I'd like to cover three points. Number one is that the message has not changed. It's the same message as we talked about in October. The this second, is not a vote of no confidence in Credit The Suisse. second message is there has been no discussion with Credit Suisse about providing assistance. I don't know where the word assistance came from. There has been no discussions whatsoever in the past, since, since uh, October, about uh, Credit Suisse needing more capital, or requiring assistance. So in, in the last 24 hours though we've seen them go to Swiss National Bank for a lifeline. But that was a manifestation of unfortunate uh, um, uh, reporting or, or, or chatter in, in the system that we had refused assistance but we were never asked and, uh, and to my knowledge there has not been any assistance sought. That's point number two. The third important point is um, the bank is on its way to do the restructuring that they've been talking about. They have two, three great crown jewels in the business. The private wealth management, particularly in the Middle East and Asia, the uh, domestic banking, uh, their asset management business. All these are stable, long-term, consistent businesses. They're working on shedding the other more volatile businesses. And we remain very optimistic uh, 
on them executing the plan. And if they execute the plan, the bank is, is a very sound. It's a 150-year-old brand. It's a great franchise. And we are optimistic that it'll go back to being what it is. And so you believe that what we've seen over the last 24 hours is just a manifestation of the fragility, frankly, of the investment. Of the entire market. Of the entire market. And then if you look at uh, you know, um, how the entire banking sector dropped and you say, like, uh, I think, uh, unfortunately, a lot of people were just looking for excuses to, you know, it's, it's panic, uh, a little bit of panic. Um, I believe completely unwarranted, whether it be for Credit Suisse or for the entire market. Uh, we did have a failure last week, but that's nowhere, nothing to do with what we saw in 2008. This is just one isolated incident. Uh, the regulators uh, cut off the uh, contagion and uh, any possibility of spillover. And I think uh, all the uh, major regulators have uh, shown that for the systemically important banks, they've done enough fence building and, 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 and prudence and additional spare capital that <clears throat> those are protected. And for the smaller banks, the uh, regulators have the uh, resolve to uh, cut off any percent potential uh, contagion effects. Now, back at the end of last year when you took that 9.9% stake in that capital raise, um, we had this conversation about um, how much money you were basically willing to buy in to Credit Suisse. If they were to do another capital raise in the future, would you be willing to continue at that level and in terms of increasing Well, the, the, the red line we have is 9.9. We will not go above that. Um, to our knowledge, they are not looking for capital. They have not. But if they did, would you? I don't think they would. Honestly, uh, uh, they're very well capitalized. I think if you look at uh, what even the uh, Swiss Central Bank said uh, yesterday, is that we've looked at all the ratios; they're all sound. Everything is fine. Yeah. I don't think they'll need more capital. Fascinating bit there at the end, guys. Um, asking the S and B chairman, listen, if they were to do another capital raise, um, would you raise your stake? Would you would you stay in line with your 10 percent or 9.9 percent as is? And he said, listen, I don't even think that they're um, in line to do that anytime soon. And and then against the backdrop of everything that we've seen over the last several days um, with SVB, this conference in particular has very much focused, as you know, on the fragility of the sector, the regulatory requirements and issues uh, surrounding where were they, how did this occur, and how quickly, frankly, that the governments are going to have to move in order to stem uh, this kind of reaction. One of the things that we've also heard on the sidelines of this is, of course, something you guys mentioned a little bit earlier on in the program, um, the impact on oil prices. I heard from Saudi Arabia's finance minister yesterday reiterating to me that, uh, once again, this is not a country that exists barrel to barrel anymore. They do not have a break-even price, he told me. It's not 80, it's not 90. This is a country that's well diversified enough at this point to not be um, hurting if one, if one day we see a drop as significant as the one that we have seen over the last 24 hours. So some really interesting conversations happening here on the sidelines, but certainly the chairman of SNB, very keen uh, to reiterate his comments and to realign, if you will, um, or restate uh, what he said yesterday um, in order to calm what he says was an unwarranted panic. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.